I'm going to pray. Lord, uh, how grateful we are for this time now. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the time of worship. Uh, Now we'll worship you in your word. (laughs) And uh, we pray you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in it. You'll teach us your decrees and your statutes and your commands. That you, O Lord, will truly help us to see with your eyes what you're doing. Lord, help us to become desperate for you as your people, as a body of believers, as the body of Christ in this nation, God. Lord, these are desperate days and it requires of us desperate prayer. Forgive us, God, for, for looking at these times lightly. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for the ways in which we have focused so much on self. But God, I believe you want to send a great spiritual awakening that will sweep this nation The Lord will bring multitudes of people into the kingdom. Only you can do it, Lord. And so God, help us to be instruments in your hand. Help us to be your people who are called by your name. Help us to humble ourselves and pray. Help us to seek your face and help us to turn from our wicked ways so that you can hear from heaven, forgive our sin and heal our land. So we look to you now. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 7. (coughs) Excuse me. And we're gonna put in at verse one here in this great chapter, uh, you know, it contains this, this great text that you all are familiar with, we, and it's used so often to talk about revival uh, and to talk about an awakening in the life of this nation. Uh, I will say this, you've got to remember that this is first and foremost a call uh, to prayer uh, for God's people, a call to revival for God's people. Uh, It is, of course, uh, it impacts this nation (laughs) greatly. Uh, But uh, this is, this text is not about this nation. (laughs) This text is about the people of God. Uh, Remember, as we said, revival always begins with, with the church, with the people of God. And he uses them then as instruments in his hand to see a great and mighty spiritual awakening through his spirit to come in a land, in a country. But he's got to do that work among his people. And uh, I believe he's doing something really neat all over, y'all. But he always, 
He always has to get his people's attention, if you know what I'm saying. Unless we're like the first century church and we're dependent, we have that life, but we're not. We've been wayward. And so God has been squeezing us for quite some time now. He's been, he's been trying to get our attention for at least five to six decades as his people in America. Because we have blended with his culture. We have departed from him. We have not depended upon him. And he is calling us out. He is disciplining us. And he's turning us over to ourselves. Hey, it's a terrible thing what man can do to man. It's a terrible thing what can happen when God begins to pull back his manifest presence among his people. Uh, And that's happening. There's been a waning over the last five to six decades that's gotten steadily worse, a waning of the manifest presence of God among his people. Over the last years, I've had the privilege of getting to know a man by the name of, uh, better, I knew him, but I didn't know him this well, by the name of Fred Lunsford. He's 94, he, he, now he's 97 years old. He was 94 when God began to speak into his heart about calling God's people to pray for revival and spiritual awakening. God said, Fred, this is your last assignment. (laughs) And uh, boy, he is serious about it. When we close out today, we're going to see a video on him. uh, And I'm going to give precursors to that throughout this time together. But at the end, we will close out with that. And... uh, a challenge that he'll make uh, related to this. Um, But one of the things that he has said to me several, many times, and we pray together about once a week, it's been really a rich time for me. By the way, he is a World War II veteran. He stormed the beaches of Normandy. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge and survived, and uh, he was a director of missions, a pastor, <laughs> been in ministry 70 plus years, <laughs> great day in the morning, um, and, and he is so alive in Christ. He, he is the epitome of giving attention to the vital spiritual life. He's done that. And he's still doing that. And I want to tell you something. You know it when you pray with him. And uh, he is is calling God's people to become desperate for the Lord to send a mighty spiritual awakening. But it's got to start with me, y'all. Can't start with somebody else. You have a little card on your table called Awaken Me, O Lord, or O Lord, Awaken Me. And uh, it's it's got some prayer points you can use to to, uh, pray uh, personally. Uh, 
and also beyond. But uh, I encourage you to use that. But Second Chronicles is a, is a picture of this second season uh, when God's people have to become desperate for him because they have sinned. They have turned away from him and, and, and he is calling them to seek him with all their hearts when he can be found. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. It is, it, it is uh, if you will, wrapped in the context of a season of time when the people of God have been on the mountaintop. Now, in, in chapter 7, verse 1, you read these words. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. It says, when Solomon had finished praying. That sound familiar from what we've talked about a little earlier? When they had prayed? Okay, the word finished praying here doesn't mean that they just, he just stopped praying. This has been a spiritual journey. Solomon recognized that, you know, his, his, David's vision was uh, to build the God of temple, and he didn't get to do that. But Solomon now is fulfilling that heavenly vision. And it's quite interesting that, that he treated it. He knew enough to treat it as more than a building program. It was a spiritual journey for the people of God. And the scripture bears witness to that because it says when Solomon had finished praying, he'd been leading them to pray. And when he finished praying, and that means here that he prayed it through. It means he, 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 had, he, he had persevered in praying. You know, uh, oftentimes we'll pray and then we'll stop. But God is calling his people to persevere in prayer, to keep on praying, keep on seeking, knocking and asking. And, and this is the picture of that. He finished his praying. And the scripture says that a number of things happened. And the God's people were on a mountaintop. First of all, what happened? Fire came from heaven. Now listen, in the scriptures, there are two things are very evident. When fire comes, it can be evidence of one of two things. God's judgment, we don't want that. God's manifestation of his glory, we want that. <laughs> and this is one of those times when God manifested himself. Fire came down from heaven consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory, the manifest presence of God filled the temple. God came. And now it came so much that the priest could not even enter the house of the Lord. Uh, what a day that would be in the life of Green Street Church is you pull up in the parking lot and get out of your car and you have to bow down in the parking lot and worship the Lord. Because you can't get in the house of God. You're afraid to move because of the presence of God. And, 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 and that's exactly what happened. They could not enter the house of God. They wouldn't dare enter the house of God. You know, we talked about the fear of the Lord. God's people feared the Lord. The na nation around us might fear the Lord too. This is because the glory of the Lord, the manifest presence of God had filled the house of the Lord 
And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord was on the temple, they didn't have but one thing to do. They bowed down on the pavement and they worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, his mercy endureth forever. They saw this, they knew that this was a gift of the mercy of God. They, they deserved otherwise. But God poured out his mercy upon them. Do we see the mercy of God today? Of course we do. Listen, God has been patient with his church in America, but it's waning. The presence of God is waning. Fred Lunsford told me, he said, when I was a boy and I, a young man, when I was called into ministry, he said, I would go into church after church after church after church and preach. He said, you know, it was so interesting. He said, it wasn't the preacher. He said, it was the presence of God. He said, you sensed it in these churches. He said, and when, when I gave the invitation, he said, the altar was full. People were weeping. People were gathering. People were broken. People prayed for lost people. <clears throat> they prayed for, for the people who were wayward. Oh, it was, it was a manifestation of God. And he says, I have watched it over the last 70 plus years. And he says, you know what? You don't see it much, hardly at all anymore. And I've even seen it in, 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 in the years I entered the ministry in 1984. And, and, and it's been amazing to see the waning of the presence of God in churches all over. And that was not the case with the people of God here. God had come. And they had to bow down. I long for that day, y'all. I long for that day. When we have to bow down because of the manifest presence of God. The Psalter says in Psalm 147, verse 11, he says, I the Lord says, I delight in those who fear me. In those who long, long, you know, this, this standing on your tippy toes, this, this longing, this, this desire, this desperation almost for the presence of God. And it says that the king and all the people, the result of all this was, was transforming to the people of God. It says the king and all the people offered sacrifice. Listen, y'all, when God shows up, it will change us and it will change our churches in a manifest presence, his manifest presence. It says that they started offering sacrifices. Uh, verse eight, and the priests attended to their services, the Levites, their instruments, and uh, man, they sounded the trumpets and all Israel stood. I mean, they were... They, it was, it was a tremendous time. God came. And it says Solomon had to consecrate. Listen to this. This is powerful. Solomon had to consecrate in the middle of the court 
in front of the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt sacrifices because, I love the causal here, because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and grain offerings and the fat. So many people were giving. So many people were offering sacrifices. They, they just couldn't handle it. Wasn't that something? That's what happens. God's people begin to give attention to things that matter the most to God when he comes in revival. It just happens. It changes the whole landscape of what God's people are going through. But look, notice something else here. It says, then they had a solemn assembly. And at that time, Solomon kept the feast seven days in all Israel with him in a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. In verse 9, in the eighth day, he held a sacred assembly. You know what that was? That was a season and a time of great introspection for the people of God. They had encountered God. They began to get serious about the things of God and do the things that mattered the most to him. They, they worshiped him. They, they, they experienced his manifest holy presence. But when they did that, it showed them who they were before him. And all of a sudden, they had to have this, this solemn assembly where they would confess their sins and they would bear their hearts before God. You know, I was in the church. I, I, I was asked by a pastor friend of mine years ago, <coughs> excuse me, uh, to lead a solemn assembly in this church. And uh, it was going to be on a Sunday night, and he said, now, I want you to share the word, and I want you to help lead us in some Lord's, uh, the Lord's Supper and, and prayer times. And he says, I'm gonna, we're going to be worshiping, and we're gonna have some, I'm going to facilitate times of confession where we have microphones and people can confess. And he said, it's just going to be a great time. And he says, I've already told my people we're doing it such and such a night on Sunday night, and he says, I already told them to expect to be there three hours. And I said, you already told them to be there three hours? I said, how many people are you expecting coming? <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. But when I got there that night, the parking lot was full. The church was full. <laughs> and God had come. And let me tell you, we had a time. God drew near. And, and I'll never forget, you know, just the, I still get cold chills. The manifest presence of God. I'll never forget, during the one of the confession times, a deacon stood up in the back, right back here. And he was weeping. And he got the microphone and he said, I've got to ask y'all to forgive me. He says, I've already asked God and he has, and I got to ask you as a church. He says, I'm a, I'm a racist. And God's broken me over it. He says, we've tried to plant a church in, in a very transient community back here with African-Americans and 
and Hispanics, and he says, and, and I not only have been against it, I've, I've, I've worked against it. And he just wept. And he says, please forgive me. God has forgiven me, and I'm a changed man. But what's beautiful is what happened after that. Within the next six months, that deacon under his leadership in that church with the association planted a church in that community. <laughs> That's what happens when true revival comes. And God manifests his presence. And he changes hearts. And that's the kind of time that the people of God had that moment. Is they had that consecrated time. And the scripture says, on the 23rd day of the seventh month, verse 10, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad. You know, when God shows up, people become joyful and glad because they set free. Can I say hallelujah? I'm telling you, when, 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 when we are cleansed, when we experience a time and season of cleansing in our lives as God's people, we become joyful. Amen. And look what he says. He said, they went and sent the people to their tents, joyful of heart and good, of good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, for his people. And then verse 11, let me tell you what happens. When we finish our praying, we're going to finish our work. So we hadn't finished our praying, y'all. The Bible says Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. <laughs> he had finished. Wow. Then in verse 12, I love this. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night. Now, this is one of those moments, y'all, that we'll, it's one of those spiritual markers in a person's life you'll never forget. Solomon would never forget this moment. But God appeared to him in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. In other words, I'm pleased. I'm pleased. We all long to hear God say, I'm pleased. And he did. And then comes verse 13. Now I want you to see this because it, it, what we're talking about is desperate prayer. God sends revival when his people become desperate for him because they have sinned. You say, well, they're on the mountaintop. They are. You say, well, they just went through a time of cleansing. They did. But God knows his people. And he knows what was going to happen with his people. And so verse 13, you, you can just imagine Solomon, what did this do to him? It says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain. What? You just said you were pleased. But when I shut up heaven and there's no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people. What's that a picture of? The judgment of God. The discipline of God. 
God disciplines his people because he loves his people. It is an act of the love of God, the loyal chesed love of God. When God disciplines us, uh, whom, whom the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines. And this is a picture. He says, well, I'm going to have to discipline my people because they have sinned. They have departed from me. They have left me. But can you imagine Solomon? This is one of those teachable moments as a leader that God is trying to impress into his heart. He is mashing into his heart this great principle of leadership right here. And he says, I know my people. And they're going to depart, Solomon. There will come that day when they depart. They might be on a mountaintop right now. They might have just experienced consecration and cleansing, but they will depart. And that's going to happen. And I'm going to have to squeeze them. I'm going to have to bring calamity. I'm going to have to bring pestilence. And you see all throughout the Old Testament and scriptures, you see God uh, bringing death. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira to bring fear to the people of God. It's not just an Old Testament principle. It's New Testament too. God will squeeze us. He's the God of discipline and justice and a God of love too. But you got to remember it's out of that heart of love. You know, it's like we as parents, you know, I have... I have four daughters. I tell everybody I, I have lived through Hormone Hotel. <laughs> and I survived. I just don't have any hair left. I don't know what that says. Uh, but uh, one of my girls had, had her firstborn. <clears throat> he was a curious George. You know what I mean by Curious George? He was always getting into trouble. I mean, he's a climber. I mean, that boy can scale a tree and a pole in a heartbeat. Uh, and uh, I said, I told her one day, I said, Haley, I said, he's always looking up. I said, that's not a bad thing. I said, it's probably going to take some years off your life, but he's always looking up. He's always looking to climb something. I said, but, uh, and Tammy and I had recognized this and, and that he was getting in trouble. Now, my daughter and her husband, they were very um, passive children. So, in other words, they were, uh, <laughs> they were our easiest, she was our easiest child and so was her husband <laughs> in his family. So we're sitting at home, we've been praying, God give us an opportunity to talk to them about uh, their son because he was, you know, he was getting in trouble and he was, uh, he was uh, just not a lot of fun at times to be around, you know. So <laughs> we're sitting there one night and, she, and, and they, we get to talk to them. She starts opening up. She said, Daddy, Mama, she said, I... I she says, he, he got in trouble this morning. He got in trouble this afternoon at his in, other, other in-law, other grandparents, and now he's in trouble here. 
And she says, where did he come from? I said, well, he, you got your, your younger sister's child because she was our cures, George. And I said, what are we going to do? And that was our open door. You know, as parents, you never quit being parents and you're always looking for opportunities to, to love them and coach them and teach them and encourage them. And, and so the door opened and we said, I said, well, honey, I said, here's what you got to do. You got to increase the heat. I said, you got to tear that little hiney up. Amen. <laughs> she said, yeah. She says, I guess we do. And they did. And let me tell you something. It has made all the difference in the world. But it's out of their love for him. They love him. God loves his people. Now, I'm telling you something here. This is that moment in a, in a, in a leader's heart when, when, when he is beginning to see the love of God in a whole different light as a leader. He loves, he, he loves his people too much to let them continue in their ways. But he also is teaching Solomon. Solomon, my people will depart from me, and as a leader, you must be bold enough and wise enough to know how to lead them back to me. You got to stand up and you got to be a leader. And it, it'll cost you, Solomon. Uh, but I'm, go, I'm, going, I'm going to, when I have to discipline them, this is the indication to you that you must lead my people back to me. And that's what verse 14 is all about, y'all. How do we return to the Lord as God's people? In desperate times, when God has brought calamity upon his people, when, 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 when they don't know which way to turn, what do we do? Well, Solomon, you lead God's people. If my people who are called by my name, you lead God's people to own it. They got to own it. They got to recognize that where they are and what's happening in their land is because of them. Just like we have to own up to our own sin. Hey, y'all, it's not fun, is it? It's not. It's not pleasant either. What's pleasant about having to admit that you've done wrong? It's not. But it's necessary. Confess. Confession is the first step in repentance. 
He says, if my people are called by my name, it's got to be my people. And it's got to start with the people of God. He says, if they will humble themselves. Now that term is a term that describes surrender. It describes brokenness. It describes someone who is very spread out on their face. They have nothing left to offer themselves and they are broken before God over their sin, over the spiritual famine in the land, over, over, over all the calamity, they're broken over it. And they have nothing left to give. And they surrender. And it is a picture of God being the Lord of, the ho- Lord of, Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the heavenly armies. He's, he, he is, <laughs> oh, I love that term, the Lord of hosts, but boy, it's a, it's a, it's a very vivid picture of God standing with his sword drawn. And Paul would say, if God be for us, who can be against us? But you know the flip side of that? And it's, a beautiful, it's shown throughout Scripture so often. Look at the book of Joel, verse 11. <laughs> and that is, if God be against us, who can be for us? Nobody. No one will withstand. And, and this is that kind of a picture here that he says you've got to humble yourself recognizing that God is your only hope. You humble yourself. And you recognize him as God. And he says, and, and, and you pray. This is desperate prayer. This is palal prayer. This is where we get this element of desperation. This is not, oh God, will you send revival? Oh God, will you save the lost? Oh God, will you, will you just change our community? It's, oh God, we're desperate for you. There's nothing we can do. got to be you, God. So you pray in that way. You become desperate for God. You know, a number of uh, months ago, probably was about a year ago, I got a phone call. It was Saturday morning. I was traveling on Sunday, and I'd taken a break. I was doing some editing on something I was writing, and um, ta- my wife Tammy was visiting with her parents out of town, and I was there uh, alone. And I got in the truck to go get gas so I'd be ready for the next morning. And the telephone rang. It was one of my daughters, who has three little boys. And her husband is a hardscaper, and she, she was there alone with the three boys. He was on a site about an hour away, and, and, and she simply said on the phone, Daddy, can you come? She says, Ollie has fallen. He's busted his head. I can't get the bleeding stopped. I've called 911, and she hung up. And I'm like, why'd you hang up? You know, I didn't know if he was conscious. I didn't know if uh, he was breathing. I didn't, I didn't know anything. And so what, what did I do? 
I, I jetted over there. We lived about eight, eight to ten minutes from her. But I was crying out to the Lord in desperation, y'all, for my little Ollie and for her. And I get there, and the ambulance is there, and she's holding him, coupled in her arms, and they're working on him. And, 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 uh, and I walk up, and, you know, I don't know what I'm going to find. And by that time, little Ollie turns his head and looks around at his mama, and he says, Hey, Popo. <laughs> I said, he's going to be all right. <laughs> and three staples later and a cone of ice cream, and he was just fine. But, but I was desperate, y'all. I, I was just desperate. And I cried out in desperate prayer for God. But, but there's another phrase here that I'll finish that story. And it says, seek my face. You, you see, desperation is not just for what God can do. Desperation, desperate prayer that we must have in this season to see revival come is desperate prayer not just for what God can do, but for God. Do you see that? Seek my face. That's an interesting term in the Old Testament. Um, I love it because it, it refers to an intense seeking. But coupled with my face, it describes... Uh, it, it, it's a, what we call an anthropomorphism in Scripture. And it describes a, it describes a picture of God in, in man's terms so that we can understand it. You know, the Scriptures are so vivid. And, and here it, it just, it, it paints this picture of the face of God, which represents the the manifest presence of God and the favor of God upon his people. And, and it's this picture of a man that, of a person who you can hear, you know, your ears are pointing forward for a reason. You know that, don't you? So that you can hear. And, uh, um, and so it's, it's his face we want so that he can hear and so that he can have favor through his presence with us. It's like his face is with us. A, but is, what he, the reason they have to seek his face is because of this. It's because he has his back to it. And he cannot hear because they are regarding iniquity in their hearts. And he cannot bless with his favor and his presence. Now, you know, from the perspective of a believer, we, we never lose the presence of God. He's in us, right? That doesn't mean that God doesn't wane his manifest presence in us and through us as his people because of our sin. We squelch the Holy Spirit. We quench the Spirit's work 
through our lives. And this is that picture. And he says, Solomon, if you're going to lead my people back, you've got to lead them to understand something, that they need to seek me. Because at the heart of my blessing is my presence. And remember I talked about the waning of the manifest presence of God. I believe with all my heart that the church in America, which is made up of God's people, we have become comfortable with only a trickling of the manifest presence of God in our midst. That's hard, but it's true. A couple of days after that incident with my daughter and my grandson, I was having my time with the Lord and I was in Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then, (laughs) the Lord took me to Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? The lack of the manifest presence of God ought to break our hearts, y'all. And God said to Chris Schofield that day, he said, on Saturday, you were desperate for me to help. But really, when's the last time you've really been desperate for me? I can't describe to you The brokenness in my heart. When God said that, he said, are you like the deer that pants after me? I said, no. No. You see, that's what God wants in these desperate days for his people to want him. Y'all, we can be content with just doing church. (laughs) I mean, we got all the facilities, we got all the resources, we got all the instruments, we got all the mechanisms. 
And we can do it. But is God near? Has God come? And are we satisfied with that? If he hadn't and he doesn't, Take just a moment here. Can we? God is, God is close and near. So let's. Uh, Brian, would you come and just play softly? Uh, uh, some have come to the altar. Maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, I want to be desperate for you in your presence. We'll spend a few moments just waiting on the Lord. We have some soft music playing.
Father, thank you for your spirit as you speak and you draw us to yourself. Lord, thank you that uh, when our priorities get out of whack or we, Lord, have become content with just a trickling of your presence that you'll you'll draw us you'll woo us you'll you'll remind us that we need to to dwell in your presence and not be satisfied with a trickling of your presence with us I pray, oh God, that that will happen in each of our hearts. You will awaken each of us to that reality that we, we must be a people who long for you. And we must be churches that long for you, Lord, in your presence. So, Lord, do that work. As we, we prayed earlier today, we do pray now. Fan the flames of what you're doing here at Green Street in the hearts of your people. This might be a praying people, dependent and desperate for you, Lord, and for your presence. Not only with them, but in them and through them in a mighty way to impact lostness for your glory, Lord, and for your honor. God, send a mighty spiritual awakening here, a mighty revival that will begin here and will sweep all over this part of the state and this, this country. Only you can do it. this prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen and amen to that. Thank you for your sensitivity to the Spirit. Thank you. You know, (coughs) God wants to do something. I, I have been so convinced of this in my life. Um, and serving the Lord in our denomination the last three or four years, I've been more encouraged than I than I ever have. Despite the decline, I believe God's getting hold of the hearts of His people and calling us to get serious about seeking Him. I will say this uh, as we kind of close out this passage and we're going to see a little video as we end out here. Um, What happened in this text, what happens here is very significant because when God says you have to seek my face then you have to turn from your wicked ways. A genuine biblical repentance is a part of this.
And that's doing business with God. Only God can do that, y'all. It is a gift in our lives to be able to repent of our sin. And our forgiveness comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that is a part of genuine and true revival. And so we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek his face and we turn from our wicked ways. And we are in a position then for God to do what only God can do. And the scripture here makes a promise to us. Now here's the thing about it. God determines when it takes place, where it takes place, what it looks like, how it takes place. That's his work. It's a sovereign work of God. But here's what he promises. He promises that he will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sin and he will heal our land. <laughs> That's a promise. It's in his time. It's in his way. It's, it's where he, he wants to start it. And it's with whom he starts it with that he wants to start it with. We don't determine that. But we simply put ourselves in a position for God to do it. And we leave the results up to him. Amen? Now, I said it back about four years ago, uh, Fred Lunsford came into my life in a, in a way as I invited him to speak at a conference, y'all. And uh, God had gotten hold of his heart. And God had said to him, Fred, I'm leaving you here on this earth so that you can fulfill your last assignment at 94 years old. And that is to call God's people to pray for spiritual awakening. And so he thought maybe that it would begin with pastors and he began an emphasis on that. And then COVID hit. Pastors couldn't gather on the mountain and pray. He wanted 100 pastors. They already had 200 committed to coming. And then he said, maybe it's bigger than that. Let's get 10,000 people praying. Within a few days, there were over 10,000 people who were, who were committed to pray. He said, well, then the, let's do 100,000 people. God gave him over 200,000 people by May the 5th, 2020 pray for a revival and awakening. And since then, his heart's been on a million plus people. But I want you to see this last part of this video and then I'm going to close this out with one last little story, okay? God has been moving in our midst and he still may be, so we we're respectful of what he's doing in hearts. And uh, if you need to go get in a room by yourself, go do it. If you need to
come here to this altar to do that. But I want you to see this because what has happened since then, Fred is 97 now, and at least three times a day, he's on a phone call with somebody praying. And it's just an amazing thing how God is at work calling people from all over the world, sending people from all over the world to pray for revival and spiritual awakening in America. Back a number of years ago when I was a park ranger, I was, I was in my 20s. <laughs> it's been a long time ago. Um, Tammy and I lived on the park before I was called into ministry. I was on duty that weekend. I'll never forget, I got a call from one of our group camps. Now, we had two group camps that in the summer they stayed full. They had, we had over 200 buildings, 100 in each one of the group camps. And they would be full of students and people and uh, lots of uh, water was needed. I got a call from one of the group camps that, that they didn't have any water. And I said, oh, that's bad. And so I, I called the superintendent and he said, well, we got, we got to get them some water. He said, so call the well company. They're going to have to come out. So they came out and uh, I went out there with them. And sure enough, the pump had gone bad and they had, to, they had to put a new pump in. So they had to pull the pump. And, and uh, when they got the pump put in, uh, it, was, it wasn't too deep. It wasn't too bad, but it uh, took a while. But then they had to... They had, to, they had to come and prime the pump, if you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? They had, in other words, you got to pump out the water on the ground, just get it started pumping so it so to fill up the tank. We had a big water tank on top of the hill there. It was ground flow pressure. So it was a, it was a very dry summer, though, that summer. I mean, we had had uh, about 19 days of 100-plus weather. I mean, it was the trees, were you were seeing it. Uh, everything. It was just dry. And I'll never forget as we were priming that pump, I was standing there and I, I heard something rustling behind me. Now, I knew it wasn't a, a big enough for a bear or a, even a raccoon or something, but I knew it was something. And I knew it wasn't a human being because it was coming right out of the woods. And so I turned around to look, and I saw the, 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 the ground cover, you know, was shaking. I said, oh, that's a snake. And I looked, and it was a big old huge black snake. Thankfully, it wasn't a rattlesnake, which we had bunches of those there, too. But uh, it was a big old black snake. And I turned around, and he was coming right at me, though. And I thought, that's odd. You know, they usually run from you, you know. I said, but he was coming right at me. And so I kind of jumped at him, you know, so I'd scare him, and it didn't stop him. I'm like, am I going to have to kill this snake? You know? Uh, and, 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 but we were priming the pump, and right next to me was this puddle of water. And all of a sudden, before he got to me, 
he stopped and he put his head in that puddle of water. Now, y'all, I'm telling you something. I've never seen anything like this before, and I've never seen anything like this since. But, but that big old black snake was gulping that water. <laughs> he didn't care if I was standing two, three feet from him. He didn't care anything. He was thirsty. Yes. <laughs> he was desperate for water. And he, he didn't care what happened to him. He just had to have water. That's the kind of desperate prayer that we've got to have for God in his manifest presence to come through revival and spiritual awakening. And I pray that in the days to come, God will mobilize you as a church. You'll start prayer groups. <laughs> You'll start meeting in prayer. Start praying for your worship services. You'll do whatever it takes in desperation for God to come and to manifest his holy presence new and afresh in your life and in the life of this church and through this church to this community for the sake of his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. In the past generations, all those movements I shared about earlier, they were filled, with, they were preceded and permeated by God's people seeing the famine of the presence of God and crying out. Will it be said of this generation in history that we were the generation that lost America to paganism or we were the generation that began to seek the Lord while he could be found? Let's pray. God, thank you for this day, this time together. Oh, Lord, bear fruit from your word. God, teach us to pray. Help us to be a people who are dependent like the first century church. But help us to be a people who are desperate for you in these days when you're squeezing us Calamity is all around us, God. In every area of our lives, we see it. And you are bringing it so that we might become a people who are called by your name, who are humble before you, who are praying and seeking your face so that you can hear from heaven as we turn from our sin and you can forgive our sin and heal our land. So do it, O oh Lord. We pray. Do it, O oh God, as only you can. And we make this prayer in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.